And back again, we are going to be now looking at our reading today, which is found in Acts chapter 2. And we're going from verse 22 down to 38. So um, it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, do feel free to flick open um, to Acts 2 and beginning at 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For, G- for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Join with me now as we pray before John teaches us this morning. Our Father, we are overwhelmed when we think about the empty tomb and the hope contained in that empty tomb. That death is beaten. That sin will not have its way for eternity. But that King Jesus is alive and he's coming back. And he will once and for all draw to a close all the pain, suffering, illness, sinfulness, hurt, betrayal of this broken earth. Father, in times such as this, we thank you that your son Jesus gives us that hope. And we look forward to the day when, as we've been singing about, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And we pray, Lord, that you would make us ready for that day and you would help us to um, 
proclaim the truth of that day to our community, that they could also be ready. Lord, we pray this morning, if there's anyone here who does not yet know you as Lord, that they would leave today um, with rejoicing and with the hope that we have in Jesus too. Lord, would you empower us by your spirit today to hear what you have to say to us. Lord, remove the distractions, remove any barriers that there are to us hearing your voice. Eradicate Satan's influence here this morning, Lord, and um, may it be a really special time on Easter Sunday when we can come together as your people, praise your name, and glorify the risen Jesus. We pray for our children in their spaces, that they too would um, know the joy of Easter. Father, we are so grateful, um, and we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Morning, everyone. Morning. Morning. Happy uh, Resurrection Sunday. Uh, I usually do the whole, he is risen. Well, he is risen. Oh, flip me. There's not many Anglicans among you. We usually do that. You know what to do, like, but sure. Uh, yes, we are in second, our second chapter of Acts today. And you maybe find that a bit strange because it's Easter Sunday. Surely you should be in one of the Gospels, John. But no, we are looking at Peter's first sermon after Pentecost. And you'll see why we're doing that in a moment. But what Peter is essentially doing here, uh, after Jesus is crucified, he is resurrected. He appears to the disciples. He is ascended to the right hand of the Father. We know then that Pentecost happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon the disciples. Peter is then beginning to take the gospel message out to the world. And that's what we have here in Acts chapter 2. And what he's basically doing is presenting what Christianity is. What he's doing is presenting what Christianity is. Christ was killed and he is now raised, and he has ascended to the right hand of the Father. He is not presenting them with a set of rules of do's and don'ts. He's not presenting them with, with just a, a formulaic message. No, he's presenting them the truths of the gospel. He's presenting to them a person, and that person is Jesus. He is presenting to them Jesus, and he's presenting the central truths of the Christian faith. One of those is the resurrection. This is why we have today. This is why we have Easter Sunday. This is why we celebrate the resurrection on this one particular day of the year. God raised Jesus from the dead. He overcame death and assured us that one day we are, if we're in Christ, one day we will be the same. We will be resurrected and spend eternity with Him. And if there was ever one day to focus in on that and celebrate that, it's today. But in saying that, I also want to say this because I don't want it to get lost. But that every day for the follower of Jesus is a day to celebrate that we've been brought from life or from death to life. Every day for the follower of Jesus is resurrection day. Not just today. And the resurrection itself well, it's either true or it's false. There's no in-between. There's no maybe it happened, maybe it didn't happen. It is either true or it's false. And we have to reckon with the fact, oh, we have to make a decision. All of us have to come to a decision whether we believe it true or believe it 
false. I would go as far as to say as, as, as the resurrection, the, the birth, death, or the birth, life, death, uh, resurrection of Christ are the central truths of all of history. Everything revolves around those. Any of you probably don't many if you have change in your pockets, but if you were to go to the change in your pockets, you'll see a date there. B.C. Eddie. Everything revolves around these events and this person. All of history. All of history. That's how significant they are. And so even as we begin today to look at Acts chapter 2, with all that laid on the table, it's a very simple question for us. What have you done with the person who is at the center of history? What have you done with the person who is at the center of all of history? Again, there's only two options for that answer. Either you have embraced him, accepted him as Savior, or you have shunned him. One or the other. One or the other. The first thing I want to draw our attention to this morning from Acts 2 uh, is just let's for a moment have a think about who is speaking these words. Who is this? Well, it's Peter. Peter is proclaiming the gospel. He is setting out these central truths of the Christian faith. Now, if, it's been a short weekend, short weekend from Friday through to now, and we've been through the story of Easter, and, and just previous to that, we're, we're looking at the gospel of John. And so you'll know it is a very short time from this happens in Acts 2 to what happened previous at the end of the gospel, or just before Jesus was crucified, where Peter does what? He denies Christ. He denies him completely, shuns him. Let's on, he's not with them. Let's on, he's not part of that group. Let's on, he doesn't even know Jesus. Seven weeks later, seven weeks, that's what we're talking about here. Seven weeks later, Peter is standing up proclaiming the gospel to thousands of people. What on earth has happened that this denier of Christ, this, this publicly, no, I don't want anything to do with him, has went from that to standing up and publicly proclaiming him as the Messiah in fear and in trepidation of losing his own life? What's happened? What, what, what's changed? You, you know the journey to get here. We looked at it on Friday night, and we said about the perspective of the disciples. Even the, the perspective of the, of the disciples at the cross was, was no doubt confusion. They didn't know what was going on. They would have went back. They would have been thinking, well, that's it. That's all over. It's done. We may as well just go back to our day jobs. That's it. Finished. On Easter Sunday, there was still some confusion. Even when Jesus was raised from the dead, they didn't get it. And what we see from our, from our interactions with the Gospels, especially, is this. Jesus was clear. 
Jesus was clear. Jesus was, I'm going to die and I'm going to rise. And the disciples were like, not getting what you're saying. All along. We're not picking up what you're throwing down. They didn't get it. They didn't realize that he would rise physically on the third day. And even as they stood there at the tomb, it didn't register. You see, even the fact that he kept saying he was going up to Jerusalem to die, they didn't understand. And Peter is among that group of people. Do you remember when Jesus said he was going to he was going to go up and, and die and his life was going to be taken from him. And, and Peter was like, listen, if anyone's going down for you, it's me. I'll take the hit. I'm with you. I am with you, Jesus. And what happened? He completely denied him. Completely shunned him. And then we have this. Just it is amazing what has happened here. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted it. We'll go back to, to chapter 2, verse 14. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. So what has happened? What's, what's changed? Two things have changed. In the life of a, of a denier, in the life of a, a card, in the life of a weak-kneed disciple who was going to go back to the boats, Two things have happened. One is the resurrection. It finally sunk in that Jesus, all along, it had got there. It had, it had, the penny had dropped, as we say. It, it, he had realized that Jesus, all along, what Jesus all along was saying, he is physically raised. He spent some time with him and he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Yes, that is one element. But the other element is this. At the point when he is speaking here, what has just happened? What has literally just taken place? Pentecost. And what happened at Pentecost? The infilling of the presence of the Spirit of God came upon the disciples. That's what happened. That's what the change was. Peter went from card, weak, uh, weak feeble Peter, to, to bold, filled with confidence in the gospel, Peter. And that's what had happened. He believed the resurrection and the Holy Spirit had him powered him to do this. What does that mean for us? Well, you, you might look at this and you think, well, that's brilliant for Peter. Fair play, Peter. He's seen the bodily resurrection of Jesus and he was empowered with the Holy Spirit. Fair play, Peter. What does it mean for us? Well, it means this. It has massive implications for our own personal evangelism. Because we look at Peter here and we think to ourselves, oh, Peter, it's all well and good for you to stand up in front of thousands of people preaching the gospel, and we see that thousands come to Jesus, but, 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 but I'm weak. I am even weaker than you, Peter. I, I make more mistakes than you, Peter. I, I couldn't possibly do this, Peter. But I want to tell you this, and it's an encouragement to you. It's not, it, it, please let this be an encouragement to you. You are filled with the same Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost. If you're a follower of Christ, you're not believing me, are you? But you are. 
you're filled with the same Holy Spirit if you are a follower of Christ that Peter was filled with at Pentecost. And so when, when we go out into the world, when we go out, we, we were chatting about this the other night at, at Hope Explore, when we go out into the world and we're fearful and we're feeble and we're weak at the knees in sharing about Jesus, we need to remember that we are filled with the same Holy Spirit that Peter was here as he preaches this sermon to thousands of people. You have the same Spirit and you believe in the resurrection. You believe in the resurrection. I want that to encourage us this morning because sometimes I know we can, we can all be so down on ourselves about how we do personal evangelism. We're not faithful enough. We don't talk about Jesus enough. We don't do this enough. We don't do that. We're so down on ourselves. But I want to encourage you, you have the Spirit of God in you. Be encouraged. So that's who. That is the change that has happened here. In the context of this sermon, Peter is coming out and he's just boldly proclaiming the gospel. We're going to go through verse 22 to 38 and pick out here what's, what's significant. So as I say, Peter is preaching his first sermon, and he begins by saying these words, men of Israel. That's where Kirsty started to read for us, verse 22. Men of Israel, hear these words. What's going to come? This sounds a big, important statement. Men of Israel, hear these words. What's coming? Jesus of Nazareth. That's where he begins. That's where he starts. That's where he, that's where, that'll be the start. That'll be the middle, and that'll be the end. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God, by signs and wonders that God did through him in your midst. So verse 22, the first thing as Peter is saying here about, about Jesus is this, you saw it for yourselves. You saw what he did. You saw the miracles. You saw the, the feedings. You saw the healings. Peter says that this is how he was proven to you by God. You witnessed it. You were eyewitnesses to it. You saw it. This provided clear evidence for you who he was. God showed you who Jesus was, and you missed it. You missed it. Men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs God did through him in your midst. And you yourselves know this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. Right? Let me just, re I'll read this whole section and then we'll explain it because it's Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Now, does anybody else find that a little bit confusing, that verse, no? Or is it just me? Just me. I'm on my own. I'm the only one that finds it confusing. Right, okay. Let me walk through it again. I'll read it to you again, and then I'm going to ask what's confusing. All right? Let me read it. This Jesus delivered up... Oh, sorry, go back again. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man tested you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. 
You yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. What's the confusing part? Who did it? Was it God? By definite foreknowledge and plan? Or was it by the evil hands of the lawless men? Here's the thing. It was both. It was both. Foreknowledge and plan does not negate our responsibility for sin. Foreknowledge and plan does not negate our responsibility for sin. This is a bit of a mind-bender, I'll give you that. It's one of those topics in theology that is hard, it's difficult to understand. But God in His sovereignty, God in His foreknowledge and His plan ordained that Christ, everything that happened, we, we, we looked at that last week, that everything that happened would take place exactly the way it was supposed to take place. Yes? We believe that. We believe that everything that was ha happened at the, exactly the right moment you, you know the quote I've used from Spurgeon before where he says about God is sovereign over even over the dust moats. What that means, I was actually lying the day in bed and I could see the dust moats like in the air. That's not to say our bedroom's a dirty place, by the way. Just saying. Uh, but if you went down to that light, you could see the dust moats floating. God is sovereign over every single one of them. And He's sovereign over the plan of our lives, every single part of them. But that does not negate our responsibility for sin. We are still responsible for our sin. The men who crucified Jesus were still responsible for crucifying Jesus. We have to take responsibility for our own sin in owning it. See, here's the reality. You and I, by our very nature, are predisposed to sin. We are, by our very nature, predisposed to sin. It's exactly what we want to do. Sin is exactly what we want to do. That is the reality on this side of eternity. And here's the thing. You only do what you want to do. Think of whatever sin you struggle with. Gossip, lust, whatever. Jealousy, whatever it may be. Why do you struggle? Because it's what you want to do. If you struggle with gossip, it's because you want to gossip. If you struggle with whatever, lust, it's because you want what your eyes can't have. It's because it's what you want to do. This is what Paul talks about when he talks about the battle between the new man and the flesh. He says that battle is never going to go away this side of eternity. It's because we are predisposed to sin, and we must take responsibility for that. We must own it. We are responsible for our sin. And that was, that's what makes the cross and the resurrection so amazing. 
is that even though we are responsible for that, we can come to Jesus and we can ask for forgiveness. And he is faithful and just when we confess our sins. He will forgive us. He will forgive us. But here we see it was by the foreknowledge and plan that Jesus was delivered up. But these men were going to be held responsible for that. The verse 24 says then, this is, this is probably the, the bit that we love most, especially today. So you crucified and killed him by the hands of lawless men, but God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Right. He looses the pangs, or we'll use a, a modern word, pains, pains of death. That's what pangs mean. Pangs is a great word. I think we should bring it back into everyday language. I'm in the pangs. Sounds good. No, pains. It means pain. The pain of death was defeated. What original sin brought in Adam and Eve was essentially death. That is the enemy. It is the death of, of us as human beings, and it was the death of the creation. God in His perfect design never made us to die. That's why death and separation, and separation brought about by death is so difficult because it was never supposed to be the way. It is the enemy. Death is the enemy. But here's the good news. For every believer, death has been defeated. Death has been conquered in the resurrection of Jesus. This is why we celebrate today, because even though we know that we will physically die on this earth, we know that we will never die because of Jesus. And we know that even though we die, it does not hold the same sting for those who believe. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 says this, 1 Corinthians 15 verse 55, Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? Paul's like, you can do... Paul was an, ama he's an amazing man, yes, because he wrote most of the New Testament. But apart from that, he was an amazing man because he had this view of death. You can do whatever you want to me. You say whatever you want, do whatever you want, hurt me whatever way you want to hurt me. You can even kill me. And what is it? Gain. Gain. What is your view of death? What, have you, what is your view of death? I have said this before in a sermon. And I'm saying it again because I've heard it again lately. And I hear it regularly, actually, from Christians. Where we say things like, sure, you only live once. We're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. Sure, fill your boots up. You may as well. Or things to that effect. Here's the thing. We do only live once. But it doesn't stop at death. And we need to start living this life in view of that. It's like, Sometimes I think it's generally like Christians have this idea that we only live once, so fill your boots up with whatever you... Because when you close your eyes in death, that's it. It's done. It's only starting. It's only starting. 
death has no hold over the believer. Death has no pain for the believer. Certainly, there's pain for those who are left behind. And that's what you see when you, when, when you come to a believer's, for example, a believer's funeral. The believers, fine. They're with Jesus. It is those who are left behind who feel the pain and the sting of separation. That's what it is. Death could not hold him. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And then Peter goes into this section where he, where he quotes Psalm 16. And there, he's doing this for a purpose. He talks about the patriarch David. Remember who he's talking to here. He's addressing Jews. And so who would you go to for a good reference point? If you're speaking to Jews, you go to King David. And so he talks about the patriarch David. And he makes an appeal that Jesus was, was, was the one that David knew would come from his line. As I say, this is Psalm 16. David foresees the Messiah and says, He will not come to corruption. His body will not decay in death. See verse 27 there. Let me read it for you. I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh will also dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor let your Holy One see corruption. That's Psalm 16 talking about Jesus. Peter makes the appeal to the Jews here. He says, do you remember King David who saw Jesus, who knew Jesus was going to come? He says, he died. We still have his tomb. Jesus, not so much. Jesus, not so much. Peter is basically saying here, look, here's one of Israel's greatest. And he couldn't do what Jesus did. Here's one of Israel's greatest, and he couldn't do what Jesus did. That's the appeal that he's making. Verse 32. This Jesus who God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. And this is a critical point. It's a critical point for you, and it's a critical point for me. You see, after the resurrection, the disciples didn't sit down and think to themselves, right, okay, what we need to do now is, is draw up some reasonable explanation for what's just happened. We, we don't, we, they didn't sit down and go, right, okay, let's get a master plan together so that we can convince people of what just happened. You remember uh, some Easter's before I've talked through the, the, the explanations that were given for the resurrection, and some of them are just ridiculous. For example, I'll just brief, some, like the disciples went and stole the body. Do they know who they're talking about? Didn't happen. Jesus wasn't actually dead. Like, some of the explanations for what happened were, were ridiculous that, that come from other people, but the disciples didn't do that. The disciples didn't sit down and think, right here, we need to come up with a master plan, because why, where are the evidence? We are the evidence. The disciples themselves said, we are the evidence. We have witnessed this, and look at what it has done to us. It has completely changed us. 
the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit has transformed our lives. We are the evidence. Again, thinking about ourselves, and I'm, I'm not saying, because I know where we go with this, and I don't want us to go there. I know where we go to, oh, navel-gazing, and we're, we're doing such, such a bad job. I don't want us to go there. But, but what I want us to say is this, empowered by the Holy Spirit, believing in the resurrection, knowing that this life is not the only life that there is, that we will see eternity and we will live with Jesus forever. I wonder, I wonder, am I, are you walking evidences of the fact that Jesus is raised from the dead and we have been raised from death to life? Are we walking evidences or are we walking contradictions? And I, I, I like to be honest with you, I fear that I often am. But the disciples were like, look, look, you want to know if Jesus was real? Look at us. If you want to know if Jesus was real, look at us. Look at what it's done to us. Look at how it's changed us. Look at what we're doing. We're putting ourselves out there to be killed. Literally. This, this, what Peter's doing here, could have got him killed. Can we say the same? Can we say that we are the evidences of Christ's resurrection? This Jesus God raised up and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. He has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter goes on to do one thing here, and it's this. He makes it personal. Verse 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom what? Whom you crucified. Whom you crucified. Folks, we'll get there in a moment. This is Resurrection Sunday. But the reality is this. Who crucified Jesus? You did. I did. We did. We need to know that before we can see the glory of the resurrection. We did it. We did it. 2,000 years removed, we did it. We did it. We need to take responsibility for that. We need to own it, and we need to come, and we need to come to Jesus, and we need to repent of our sin, and we need to ask him for forgiveness. It's as simple as that. That is the glory of the gospel. What, is it, what does it say about the response? 
what does it say about their response? They didn't kill Peter. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, something else happened. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, it says here, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart by these words from Peter. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had taken these words and revealed to them that, yes, this is Jesus. This was the Messiah. This was the one that was promised. This is him. And also, we crucified him. We crucified him. When they were heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter said to the rest of the apostles, Brothers, watch, or, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? There was a question, what, what do we do about this, Peter? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. It's not the most seeker sensitive, you know, it's not the most attractional sermon you've ever heard, is it? It's not the most, you know, come on, let's, we can do this. Let's clean up your life sermon you've ever heard. No, you put Jesus on a cross. You crucified him, and he was the Messiah. What happens? The Holy Spirit takes that and bang into the hearts of those who were there. They were cut to the heart, and they responded, what, must, what, what are we going to do with this? And Peter simply says, repent, believe, be baptized, and you will know the forgiveness of your sins. Praise God for the resurrection. Praise God for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the gift of repentance. Praise God. Praise God. I want to finish with words today, because today can be a day, right? And this is, it's like pastor's worst nightmare day, right? Easter Sunday, ironically it is, because Easter Sunday, and you see it all over Twitter, and I've seen it all over Twitter this week, about the, just, it's, you know, you've got to nail it today. This is the day where it has to be nailed, right? Easter Sunday, whoop, whoop, right? And, and some of us just don't fit that mold, i.e. Uh, but I want to finish with these words, because I know in here today, and I've, I know this week from, from, other stuff that we've heard and other stuff that's going on. Uh, I know that what some of you will need most is the comfort of Jesus. Not to go out of this room with some sort of, you know, good feeling that will last for maybe an hour until you have the family for lunch and it all goes to pot, right? Because that's what's happening. We're having an Edith and Bertie, and who knows what way that might go. Bertie might even end up in his, uh, coming as boxer shorts. We don't know these things. But what good would that be? But what you need is the comfort of Jesus that lasts, that you can take into the week, that you can rely on, that you can stand on. And I want to, I've borrowed words from uh, Emmanuel Church Nashville. 
they use it as a, as a call to worship, actually. But I want to finish with these words because they're beautiful. And I pray that you'll find rest in them today. To all those who are weary and need of rest. To all who mourn and long for comfort. To all who feel lost and worthless and wonder if God even cares. To all who fall and desire victory. To all who sin and need a Savior. To all who hunger and thirst for righteousness. To all, to whoever else will come, Jesus opens wide his arms. He offers them welcome in his name. He is the friend of sinners. He loves his enemies. He is the defender of the weak. He is the justifier of those who have no excuses left. We have been saved by a risen king. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let me pray. Father, we thank you so much for the resurrection. We thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead. Father, I thank you that when we repent, when we turn to Christ in faith, we are forgiven. And Father, I pray that we would rest this week in those truths. He is the friend of sinners. He is the lover of his enemies. He is the defender of the weak and the justifier of those who have no excuses left. What a Savior. We thank you for him. And we thank you for the resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen.